1: Welcome to IB Nation Sports Talk, along with Jesse Steyer, Sean Steyer. Coming up in today's show, we've got some depth chart movement for Notre Dame. We've got the sign stealing scandal going on at Michigan. We've got Pat Narduzzi doing Pat Narduzzi stuff. But first, we just start right here. Jesse's got his IB sweatshirt on. How are you today?
2: Fresh new sweatshirt, baby. I'm doing good. It's Tuesday. Uh, I apologize for being two minutes late. I'm on my vents time today. Um, I'll be better on Thursday, but I was putting together the master Excel sheet, so it uh, I, was, I was going like uh, I was doing like a little comparison. So I was I was running like two seconds behind. So he's thinking of his master plan. That's what it's all about.
1: Glad to have you here today, salty with uh, you know doing salty stuff, complaining. He says that uh, I have no problem. Notre Dame, I have a problem, rather, with the show descriptions for each episode. The hosts are not listed. How can I properly prepare without (laughs) knowing? (laughs) I mean, it's kind of sassy. We're kind of at the point in the season, we were talking about this last night, where it's just going to be all over the place with who's here and who's not and everything else with uh, this overlap with basketball and Vince has got his schedule going and everything else and i mean jesse's gonna be in town this week for uh for the notre dame pit game this weekend
2: yes i am i'm very excited first game of the season um you know obviously i would have loved to be there for usc or ohio state but when you're buying two tickets out of pocket uh the pit the the pit game is much cheaper so uh i think it'll still be a, a really good time fun atmosphere uh, I'm really going to do, you know, the whole thing. I think I'm going to go out to some to some places Friday night and then get up Saturday morning and tailgate walk around campus and see how things go. Go out to some places. Okay. Go out to some places. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Adam Adam
1: likes my Houston Oilers shirt. I like the uh I like the throwback. I like the powder blue. I'm a, I'm am a big Mel Renfro fan. <laughs> so so why not go for it? You have no idea who who Mel Renfro is, or Mike Renfro, I guess. Mel Renfro was a Dallas Cowboy. Mike Renfro, Houston Oiler. Sorry, got my Renfros mixed up there. How could you? I know. It's it's Game 7 of the NLCS tonight. Do you remember your NLCS Game 7 experience 20 years ago? Exactly 20 years ago? Yeah, didn't we go to the Cubs-Marlins game with Vince? We did. We did. It was not with Vince, though. It was with our old friend, Sean Llewellyn. Sean Llewellyn. That's right. Yes, that's right. Yep. Heartbreak. The the thing that stands out to me from that game, I just will always remember the Carrie Wood home run. I swore when Carrie Wood homered for the Cubs, I thought they were going to win that game. That was <laughs> it was a very electric atmosphere. I don't know if you remember that. You were what, six years old at the time, maybe something like that.
2: Yeah, very young. Uh, if it was twenty years ago, I was I was seven. Yeah, seven. Okay. Um, That's I right. How- you are
1: twenty seven now? Duh.
2: Yes. <laughs> so how spoiled are we? Though we got a game seven last night. We get a game seven again tonight. I know this isn't going to pertain to everyone here, but the NBA tips off tonight. Um, I think we are. We're getting close to the sports equinox, as I would say it. We are like everything is just kind of full swing. Yeah.
1: Uh, I just saw Tyler's super chat come through. He's got questions about the sign-stealing. Salty had a sign-stealing question in there. It's going to come up in rapid fire, so I'm just going to save the sign-stealing stuff for rapid fire. Um, Notre Dame-Pittsburgh this weekend. Before we get into some, some deeper analysis of Notre Dame's offense, three former Notre Dame football players playing for the Pitt Panthers. I guess two of them are playing right now. One of them, of course, Phil Djokovic is on the roster, but three former Irish players. Did you know, I just found this out today because of the uh, recruiting article that Ryan Roberts put up at irishbreakdown.com. Pitt's two highest rated former high school recruits are former Notre Dame
2: football players. Which two do you think they are? Oh, man. Um... I'm just going to say, I don't know. And last time I tried to do this, I, I was Googling and got yelled at. So I'm just going to say, I don't know. Well, there should be one of them. That's easy, right? Like
1: one of them. Oh yeah. Phil Jakovic. Phil Jakovic. The other is Shane Simon linebacker, Shane Simon. Sebo Flemister, of course, is a, is a former Irish player playing for Pitt. It is Shane Simon on the defensive side of the ball former four-star guy, and Phil Djokovic. Amazing. Yep, I USMA was... had a 50-50, a 50-50 <laughs> chance. He at least <laughs> got Phil. And again, Phil is the highest rated, but uh, Shane Simon, who, you know, it is what it is. He did not amount to – He he did not live up to the billing at Notre Dame. He had, like, what, 27 tackles. In his three seasons at Notre Dame, 27 career tackles in 32 career games. Made eight starts all in the 2020 season, interestingly enough. But um, did not live up to the hype. He was, you know, he was uh, a liability defensively. Transfers to Pitt at semester after the 2021 season. And uh, he started all 13 games last year. Had 46 tackles. I mean, great year for him last year. Good for him. And he uh, is currently their fourth leading tackler this season with 27. He has matched in this season alone to date, what he did in his three years at Notre Dame. And it wasn't because he didn't have opportunities at Notre Dame. Remember, he and Maris Leofau were sharing that Buck linebacker position, and they were just not able to get anyone to the ground. And there, I mean, there were a lot of times when Shane Simon was just not even around the ball. So he's he's turned things around. Good for him. Shane Simon, Pitt Panther linebacker.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: Yeah. And, you know, he he was able to leave Notre Dame with a degree and ends up going to Pittsburgh to get a master's degree. Those are, you know, two very good things. Very, very good um, academic schools. But like you mentioned, uh, he had his opportunities at linebacker and there was competition with other guys at linebacker. And he just really never felt like he grasped onto it. Um, And I'm glad and happy for him that he's making, uh, you know, a better a better opportunity over at Pittsburgh. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So things trending right
1: for him. And he and Sebo both got their degrees at at Notre Dame before transferring to Pittsburgh. And they both went over at about the same time. Sebo, 471 yards, 10 touchdowns in his Notre Dame career. His best season was in 2020 when he was their fourth leading rusher with just under 300 yards. He averaged 6.4 per carry, but he got his degree in anthropology as well. And he's now working on a second major in communication at Pitt. He's their leading rusher with 282 yards this season. Does that kind of tell you about the uh, shape of the Pitt offense when their leading rusher Sebo Flemister has 282 yards coming into this game this weekend?
2: Yeah. And you combine that with the fact that they've had to make a switch at quarterback. So uh, you know, switching starting quarterbacks, your leading rusher is only in the 200 yard range. I would say that things are not going well <laughs> for Pittsburgh offensively this season. No, no.
1: A little bit better defensively. I mean, they're, you know, they're a solid defensive team. They typically are. That's kind of what they've hung their hat on. And, you know, Phil Djokovic, we came into this season. And I know Phil came into this season thinking that this was going to be the year that he was able to come back and and play against his old team, the Fighting Irish, after three years at Boston College. He transferred and uh, started the first five, and it has just not worked out for Phil. He is still their leading passer with over 800 yards, six touchdowns, three interceptions, only completed 51% of his passes. They benched him for Christian Veyerre a couple of games ago and they have split those two games against wake forest and louisville and um you know jerkovic of course was hurt when he when boston college came to notre dame stadium last year is there like is there any part of you that that wishes jerkovic were playing against the irish this weekend
2: uh no, because I just think it would add a lot more drama to just a mid game that Notre Dame has to get through <laughs> after a bye week. You know, like Pittsburgh. but it might add some spice to a mid game. Yeah, right? but I, I just think it adds more drama and more stuff for people to talk about, and it would it would be all the uh, you know the announcers talk about, and I, I just would get very tired um, of it quickly. And maybe Notre Dame is Phil Djokovic's curse. You know, when Notre Dame's on the schedule, he just can't quite make it. To, to the Notre Dame game or, or even throughout the season. And so while he gets so wrapped up about what Notre Dame did or didn't do to him, I, I think that uh, it's maybe hurt him in the karma points down the road, because now he can't even get to the Notre Dame games. He can't even, you know, play those games against Notre Dame.
1: Yep. I mean, he got to remember, I think it was his first year at Boston college. He did at least get to play against Notre Dame. That was at BC. Uh, things worked out for the Irish in that game. And, you know, it just, I don't know, after all the stuff last year, I'll be curious to see, you know, cause he didn't even make the trip with, with Boston college to, uh, to Notre Dame last year. Remember the Instagram post and the, you know, the cultural appropriation of the dropkick Murphys and all that crazy stuff. I'll, I'll be curious to see if Pat Narduzzi keep, tries to keep him quiet this weekend before the game it's going to be interesting but they don't play "Shipping up to boston anymore i don't know if they consciously changed that because of him because they were still playing shipping up to boston last year they've switched the dropkick murphy's song to the boys are back you know you know the boys are back and they're looking for trouble and all that so no more shipping up to boston though so phil doesn't have
2: to be concerned about that this week. I would I would say that we probably won't hear too much from Phil this week. Yeah. To be honest with you,
1: and remember, he had apparently asked to play tight end. That's what the reports were, anyway. And they said, "No, he's you're not playing tight end. You're the backup quarterback." <laughs> 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 so, I didn't hear that report. You didn't hear that? Yeah, no. he wanted that and that's something that he wanted to do here when things weren't working out for him. He had asked to switch positions and ultimately ended up staying at quarterback and then just ended up transferring rather than switching positions to tight end. So it's not the first time tight end has come up, but oh well. So do you uh do you have some uh, what do I want to call it? Do you have a wealth Breakdown? do you have a wealth of information for us today? <laughs> I think so. All I right. um... so before you get to that and I do have some questions, by the way, Startup. People are going crazy. It's like, tomorrow is mailbag day, guys. <laughs> yeah, I never understand <laughs> the people with the mailbag questions today. <laughs> but we'll try to slip some of these in into rapid fire. Brian just wants to know if this is my Earl Campbell shirt. Not officially Earl Campbell, but I did like his tearaway jerseys. So you you weren't around for the old tearaway jerseys days, Jess. That was back in the 1970s when like you could literally – you know, try to tackle a guy by his jersey, and like Earl Campbell made it famous. He just ran through it and like half this jersey my, as my half my wire gets caught up on my armrest. It, like his jersey would come off, you know, they had the tearaways, and they they uh, they got away from the tearaways. I think Earl Campbell kind of forced that. No more tearaway jerseys because Earl's just gonna run through it. <laughs> so Marcus Freeman, at the old press conference yesterday, was asked about self-scouting. And that's kind of where we're gonna turn this to offense. So I'll let you hear what he said about it first. We can talk about that a little bit, then we'll get into some of your scouting of the last couple of Irish games offensively.
3: That's the, the execution. It's the execution
1: and, and you know, we, we we gotta be better on third down, but part of being better on third down is, is being more efficient on first and second down. <laughs> You know and, and there's not just the one common theme in the last three or four games that we say this is the reason each game has its own different story um that we have to continue to attack you know five turnovers one day right and, and that's a different story than, than last week and so we have to continue to build confidence and taking shots um you know especially playing the defense we'll play this week you're, you're going to have to take some shots and some play action shots and, and you know we're continuously looking at the things we do But the biggest thing is is the execution. So the challenge will continuously be, hey, we have to simplify. So the execution is at the standard we need it to be. And it's not more, more, more. It's it's clear, clear, clear. It's not more, more, more. It's clear, clear, clear. And Joe, you don't have to apologize for uh, the mailbag questions. He says, I'm sorry, my days (laughs) are all messed up. It's okay. You can throw questions in. But some of them were a little bit more, it's like, this is probably better for tomorrow than than today's show, which is fine. But what did you think, Jess? He he was asked about did you do any extra self-scouting during the bye week to, you know, to, to look at tendencies, break tendencies, that kind of stuff. And he said it's he stuck with the its execution, <laughs> but then he talked about some of the things that they need to get back to offensively as well.
2: Yeah, so you know the the last time Marcus Truman went through this and, and we 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 looked at it, he he said it was execution, and you know I agreed with that, but I I also said that you know it, it was um, play calling and specific situations and getting into certain tendencies, right? Um, and if you look at the numbers this week or against USC compared to Louisville, um, I would really say that maybe execution is the answer under you know, Marcus Freeman's reign, essentially. And if that's what he wants to call it, sure. But I think that between the two games, there are some noticeable differences. Okay. Um, And I don't know 100% what contributes to each, um, but I will give kind of my best estimation or best opinion to kind of what led to the difference between the two games. And that's what I was trying to do when looking at the usc game and comparing it to the louisville game.
1: Right. louisville game so kind of a refresher you broke down all the every play of the louisville game under center shotgun what they you know was their pre-snap motion uh, what else uh, um box know, run, players yeah box players that they faced in those situations run and pass and so, then yeah. net gain or loss right so this is your presentation so which way where are we going with this where are we starting with this
2: um let's do a quick refresher jesse's irish breakdown of the louisville game i think that's the best thing okay um so if you could bring that onto the screen and i I probably should zoom this in here a little bit so it is easier to read uh hang on my screens are all messed up right now uh so is that easy to read I'll go a little bit more, I think. All right, a little go. bit more. So, again, this is um, – and I I should say that for this game, I took out the box count because I didn't feel like it was as prominent as a stat. Okay. Um, and so I, I excluded kind of box count. But the main thing I was looking at is, obviously, first, first you know, what the down is, what the personnel is. Are they in shotgun or center? Um, is it a run or pass? Is there pre-snap motion? Uh, And is there gain or loss on the play? So um, all of this boiled down to some nice, easy uh, numbers over here. Remember, this is from the Louisville game. So there was 55 total plays. uh, Of those 55 plays, there was 18% pre-snap motion rate. Uh, There was 11 plays out of under center out of the 55. Uh, So that's 20% of their plays are under center. Out of those plays, 82% of the time it was run when under center. And then when it was run under center, it was an average of 1.9, or let's just call it two yards uh, of gain. And then out of out of the remaining plays, there were 44 shotgun plays. Um, and then out of shotgun, the pass percentage was 75%. And then obviously if, if the pass percentage is 75% and the run percentage is going to be 25% out of shotgun. So one thing I added – When looking at USC is I did kind of another breakdown of first down uh, yards in one column and what those plays were and then the average um, yards per play per down. So first down, they're averaging 4.2 yards. Second down, they're averaging 4.7. But if you take out the big phase on play for 36 yards, it was more of a 2.9. The only reason I took that out is because it was an outlier, right? Like it was an extreme, it was, it was like on the extreme end. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at third down net, they're averaging just about three yards per play. So um, I, I think that these are important to look at because it, it, it helps you understand is Notre Dame getting into better positions on the early downs, on first and second downs, um, and, and then, you know, not setting themselves up for some long third down situations, which they did against Louisville, right? There was yes. a ton of third and longs. And when you're only averaging three yards um, per play on, on third and longs, that's that's no good. I think the only thing that now that I think about it that I would add to this to add some context is like what would be the average um, third down distance, which actually I could easily do. So give me one second. Just because I want to see what that looks like. Uh, for both games so just give me give me one second here um
1: so five oh so now are we still looking at louisville here what are we looking at
2: yeah we're still looking at louisville um i'm just trying to um figure out you know what? I'll I'll skip this because it might just take a little bit too much time. Okay. Um. But yeah. So this was the breakdown for Louisville. Um. And again, that I think the biggest thing that snuck, that stuck out to a lot of people was the lack of percent of motion. Um. The when you were under center, it was obviously going to be you know run eighty two percent of the time, and when you were in shotgun, it was obviously going to be pass, which was seventy five percent of the time. Right. So let's go over to USC, and if you look at it. You know, again, all things considered, same things were uh, looked at: down personnel, run pass motion, gain loss. Um, and if you look, go through all of the plays for this one, you have 44 plays. And the first thing that sticks out is percent motion, and this game jumped from 18%. Just a little bit more. Blow this one up a little bit more. Okay. Percent motion jumped from 18% to 52%. Wow. Uh, pre-snap so just about half the plays one in every five plays was basically a uh, motion and now one in every two plays had pre-snap motion so that's that's a big one right there and yeah. I think that um I'm curious how much they hear the noise because I mean we were talking about some of the t- you know the top NFL offenses like Miami um Kansas City uh, maybe Philadelphia you could put in there. A lot of these highly rated offenses run a lot of pre-snap motion, right? Um, and it's just able to – you're able to manipulate the, the box a little bit better and you're able to get a read a little bit better, you know, pre-snap coverage, um, those sort of things. So that was the big thing that I noticed, first of all, is a, a, a jump from 18 uh to, to 52%. But um, the, the run percentage under center actually went up a tick. Uh, Believe it or not. So they were 82 percent run run percentage under center against Louisville and against um, USC. They're actually five percent higher. They're 87 percent run under center. So out of 15 plays, they ran the ball 13 times um, under center. But the thing that changed the most is their net gain went from two yards against Louisville under center to four yards uh under center against USC so they they gained they doubled up their their yards basically when they went under center so uh if you're Marcus Freeman you're looking at those those comparisons you're actually running the ball more under center so you're adding to your tendency but I guess you're just executing better right because you went from two yards to four yards so what did Notre Dame do uh in that in that um you know, what did they do essentially to go up two yards, right? Because they they were running the ball more under center, you know, looking at tendencies. I think one of the bigger things that added to this is they had a lot of, you know, the, the, after some of those turnovers, they had short fields uh, in the goal line. So they were running the ball. And I think a, a formationally and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but they went like that, that 14 or 13 kind of personnel I formation. And then they would motion and get into where they had like two fullbacks in the backfield that were tight ends um, and then a running back. So maybe you can attribute uh, more success to a formation that they started to run that I I can't remember if they had run before. I don't think that they had run it before. Again, they were going like tight personnel I formation and then they would motion. And then one of the tight ends would come to the backfield And they'd be splitting basically the center and you have two tight ends with their hand in the ground, basically fullbacks. um, And then obviously your running back still behind them. So, you know, maybe that helps. Maybe it was a formational thing that they got into against USC. Um, I think obviously a big factor is USC's defensive line slash linebackers are nowhere near physical that Louisville was. I think that also has to be, you know, what contributes to that as well. What are your thoughts, I guess, looking at those numbers? Well, I,
1: I think that they're very interesting and I think that you hit it on the head regardless of what the formation is, whether it's shotgun and I'm still can you blow it up a little bit more? I'm having a hard time seeing some of these like I'm trying to kind of key in on some and the numbers are so so small. Maybe I need to blow my screen up here as well. Mr. Old eyes with his glasses shotgun plays they pass 72% of the time compared to uh, 28% which really is not much of a difference i think the biggest difference was the pre-snap motion that you talked about a lot more pre-snap motion and what they did with different personnel on the field cuz like you just you touched on some specifics on how they put those tight ends in the backfield but then also what have they typically done when Jabron Payne is in the backfield? They run the ball, you know, in, in short yardage situation. They run, you know, they hand the ball off to Jabron Payne. Well, the first time they had the opportunity to do that, I think it was the first time anyway, or one of the first times. The first time, one of the first times they had the opportunity to do that against USC, it set, I guess it would have been the first time. It sets up the first touchdown, and what do they do? Sam Hartman throws to Jabron Payne. So it, like under center versus shotgun I don't think was necessarily where they made some adjustments. It's what they did with the pre-snap motion that you talked about, as well as what they were doing, the, you know, the tendencies that they showed, or maybe breaking some of the tendencies that they showed with some of the specific personnel that they typically have on the field.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I think that when you look at uh, maybe, you know, getting out of certain tendencies when particular um, personnel is on the field and then going with personnel packages, ultimately, that we haven't really seen in combination before. Um, and, and the screen I have up now is a side by side comparison of each game. Louisville's on the left. USC is on the right. So, again, the big thing that you see is a difference in percent motion. You actually see an, an increase um, in run percentage under center. But again, they they still have, even though they ran more under center, they gained two yards per play um, under center, and then shotgun pass percentage; those are basically the same, and shotgun run percentage um, are basically the same. So out of tendencies, you know, under center shotgun, they really didn't change anything. They just got more into pre you know pre snap motion, which I think gets it, it, it just gets the defenders to have to move their eyes and communicate yeah. a little bit more, right? Because they're moving
1: the personnel around
0: in different yeah, places.
2: Yeah, so you're just you're adding a layer of confusion of, okay, this is what I might might have seen, and this is what I'm used to. But as soon as you send someone in motion, I think that adds uh, to the confusion. So if you don't want to break your tendencies of when you go under center and when you're in shotgun, you have to do something else. And I think that's where you saw the uptick in motion this weekend. And maybe that was by design. I don't know. Um, The next thing to look at, again, is what what was Notre Dame's average gain or loss on first down against Louisville? Their average gain was four point two against USC on first down. Their average game gain was around six yards. So that's pretty significant in itself because you're setting yourself up for short yardage second downs. And I think this offense is going to I mean, any offense is going to operate best uh, when you have, you know, second and four, second and three compared to second and seven second and six so that was a big thing that i saw um second down there really wasn't much of a difference you know they're they're averaging three yards a play um against louisville and 3.5 against usc i still think second down is a big problem down uh for jared parker i think that a lot of their drives are either extended or killed um on second down and that has a lot to do with play calling um in those situations and then again you look at third down net um, those, those numbers are basically the same, 3.0 and two, <clears throat> 2.9. But the only thing that I would say is different in those situations is I think they were in much more third and shorts against USC compared to Louisville. And that's why I was going to try to see what their average diff, diff, distance was um, on third down in those games. Because, I mean, if you're at third and two and you're averaging three yards on third down, that's fine. But if you're in third and 10, you know, every time and you're averaging three yards per third down, then obviously that is going to be a problem. But yeah. I, mean, I re-
1: go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say you talk about second down being an issue, and in, in first, you know, they were a little bit better on third down. I think they were six of 13 on third down. So a shade under 50% against USC in that game. So a solid number, you know, in the 40s anyway, solid number. Uh, on third down conversions. And that is something that Marcus Freeman said they need to be better at. But how do you get better on third down? As he said, you've got to be better on first and second down. And so if second down is an issue, that's something they've got to get better at. They're just not a team. We, I think we thought that they were going to be a team. And I think that he thought, and maybe even Jared Parker and, and Joe Rudolph thought that this was going to be a team that could just come out and smash a team off the ball when they had to, especially when you've got a back like Audric Estime, but that's not who they are. They're, they're just, they just haven't been a team that says we need a yard. We need two yards. We're going to smash you off the line of scrimmage and we're going to get these yards that we need. That's not who they are. And that's, that's honestly part of their problem, I think as well.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that Notre Dame wants to be, so like Marcus Freeman has said before, it's, You can know what we're going to do, you know, like if we get an under center and and you, you know, if if we're going to run and that sort of thing, it's we just need to execute the play, knowing that the defense knows we're going to run and get the push. And like you said, I just don't think that they are physically there this season. I don't think that they can just lean on their offensive line in the third and threes, twos and ones like they think they can. So they go under center, they load it up and they think they're just going to go big on big and power these people. And it simply hasn't worked. So I think that another thing you have to look at is how can we get innovative in those situations. And one of the plays I really liked, and I can't remember if it was what what the down and distant was, but they went um, under center. They put Faze on in motion. They faked a handoff and they gave Faze on a jet sweep around the corner, mm-hmm. um, and he gets you know at least ten yards, I believe. So that's something that you have to look at in my opinion is if you're going to go under center and you you know there's these big tendencies that you're going to run well don't just run between the tackles get a little bit more innovative of how you're trying to run are you going to get some jet sweeps to the perimeter are you you know there's just there's certain things you can do to disguise your tendencies still right like if you're still if you're dead set on going under center and running again that's fine but do more things to be creative if you're going to do if you're going to go that route
1: I have no problem with running, but again, like, does it have to be Audric Estime up the middle so often (laughs) on first and or second down?
2: It seems like we see that quite a bit. Yeah, and and that's where I think you'd see a lot of the choir uh, of people or the chorus of people saying, you know where's Jeremiah Love on getting getting to the perimeter on some of these third third down plays or or you know short yardage situations? Where's some of those maybe outside zones, um, or some stretch plays off the off the end, or maybe some end arounds, or you know whatever it might be that it just can't always be Ja'Bron Payne and Audric Estime up the middle under center because that's what everyone in the stadium literally is expecting. So we've got a
1: question. From Andre, he wants to know which position group on offense and defense we need to see step up more. I mean, offensively, the wide receivers need to step up to an extent, but really the quarterback, I think, has to kind of kind of get some things figured out himself. You know, is he just what exactly he's willing to do, Who who he's willing to trust, who he's going to throw the ball to, all those different things. I would Personally, just like to see this offensive line step up more down the stretch offensively. I think that that's it for me because of all the stuff that we've just been talking about. Line up, be able to be a more physical and consistent team to help this team have more success on those early downs. Because I think that that can go a really long way.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, I would say that I'm fine with the running back room. I'm fine with the quarterback playing within the sh- constraints of the offense, and I think that the wide receivers, like you, would like to see more production out of them. But I don't think they're ultimately what has been the reason why they've lost some games, right? Like I don't think that they're um, doing uh, doing things that that are really bringing the team down. And so I look at the position group that maybe hasn't that is underachieved so far this season, and that's the offensive line. You know, and and it's unfortunate because they've been they've been held they're held to a higher standard just because of performance that we've been accustomed to the last really, you could say five to 10 years. Right. And so they've established this bar of what we expect out of their play. Mm -hmm. Um, And and when you see them whiff or have, you know, off nights like they did against Louisville or, you know, not get the push that they need and obvious run situations when our names going under center, those things add up. Um, And so I think that's the biggest thing that I would like to see is when the offensive line is called upon, they just move people, right? Like even when everyone knows what's coming, they still have to execute as Marcus Freeman would say.
1: DJ says this breakdown is really cool because he watched the game for what Jesse was talking about when you first did the whiteboard on this. And Jesse was really on point. Boom. Broke it down. Good stuff.
2: Yeah. Um, And and again, I think that another thing to look at is on these first and second down nets, you know, against USC, first and second down was combining for like nine yards a play. So that was setting you up for basically, you know, third and one kind of every time. And then against Louisville, it was more, you're seeing seven yards uh, on average between first and second down. So you're setting yourself up for more of third and threes third and fours i mean i don't know about you but i'd much rather have you know third and one compared to third and three and third and four and i think notre dame really has a problem in the short down situation still i think i know they need to have <laughs> i hope that's something that was but again it goes bad. back
1: to everything we were just talking about that the, what they're deciding
2: to do with those short yarded situations right And so maybe you start looking into breaking some of these tendencies. Maybe go out a shotgun and run the ball on third and three rather than bringing everyone in um, and, you know, basically packing the box and running. Like, if you're dead set on running, again, that's fine. But do more things to kind of window dress the fact that you're going to be running the ball.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, Joe's talking about the eight defenders in the box, and that's something that we've talked about as well. And again, it's something – that that you know like you had the breakdown of of guys in the box for the Louisville game and it's something that the formations don't necessarily account for because it's not just how you line up and what personnel but it's also what you're seeing on the other side of the ball that doesn't just determine should you actually run or should you actually pass in those situations but what kind of plays should they be you know and like where you know the person like like uh, watching the ohio state michigan game the other day or the ohio state penn state game rather they talked about tui Molowau, remember number 44 for ohio state and it's one thing to you know to throw that screen pass late in the game against ohio state but tui molowel returned a freaking screen pass for a touchdown against penn state last year <laughs> he forced three It's you know so it's like it's It's, it's not just a matter of all these, it's like where you you still have to, to figure out, like, is this the guy, is this the side of the field that we really want to be running this play to? Do we really want to be running this into the boundary with the other team's best defender sitting there on the edge, or would we be better off running it to the field where the best defender is not, you know, those kind of things. They're, they're, they're all part of the equation that it's, you know, just at different points, different things tend to pop up and kind of bite them, it seems like. Yeah, unfortunately, I would agree. All right, great breakdowns there. Do you have anything else on this?
2: That is that is it for this. I've um, drained my analysis. It, Jeff says that he would like to see more of love over the other
1: backs in these last four games, along with using great house more all over the field. If he's healthy, more Burnham on D versus Batello. And I would definitely like to see more of a one, two punch of estimate and love. And we talked about this. We haven't seen as much of the two back. We've definitely seen less of the two back stuff and I'm not opposed to the two back stuff at all, it, but it's You know, it's a matter of how you're going to use it. They don't really pair up love and estimate. It's almost like that two back stuff was a way to get Devin Ford on the field more. And we've seen less of that since the Ohio State game. I I mean, I would honestly like to see more of it with both estimate and love. I would definitely, I I think we'd all like to see more of love. And like when, because what happens in that situation? Well, you have. A couple of different options, you know. Maybe you do run it up the middle, but maybe you've got uh, Audric Estime as as a bulldozing, you know, fullback type guy with an ISO lead block for Jeremiah Love to spring him, or you fake it to Audric Estime up the middle, and Jeremiah Love can spring something off the edge. You know, there there, there just seems like there's more options in those situations.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, this is kind of some stuff that we've talked about on the whiteboard in the past is if you get into two back personnel, you get into a lot of, you know, you can motion one of those guys into the backfield, Uh, you can, you know, fake a handoff and leak one of those backs like kind of into the flat if you wanted to, Um, you could use them as lead blockers for one another in the run game, like there's just a lot you can get into with uh, some of the two back sets at Notre Dame and I, uh, knowing Notre Dame's personnel, I, I think that like, I, I would love to see, you know, Faison, Chris Tyree, Jeremiah Love, Audric Estime, and, like, Jaden Greathouse all on the field at the same time. I think that's that's pretty dynamic group right there. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And the question with, with Greathouse is going to be just how healthy is the hamstring. At least he had the extra week to rest. But, you know, like, when you talk about getting him out there for more reps, you do want to make sure that, that he's 100% and he's able to give you those kind of reps considering he's coming off the hamstring injury. But – Yep. All right. Good stuff for the breakdown tonight. Jesse will have more whiteboard on Thursday's show as we get into Pittsburgh. And I mean, these are going to be these next two games are going to be two of the better defensive teams, really, that they've seen all season. Behind Duke and Ohio State, these are going to be the next two best defensive teams. Clemson stacks up there defensively ahead of Pitt, but Pat Narduzzi is a defensive-minded head coach. You know, they're they're they traditionally been built on the defense. So it's I don't I don't think it's they can make you play ugly at times. Somebody brought up last night and went back and looked eleven of the last thirteen games between these two teams, it's been a one possession game at the end. And it's <laughs> largely because of the way Pitt plays defense.